So last weekend, we sat together in an awkward moment of silence, and I really enjoyed it. I really did. This weekend, we're not going to do that, although I was tempted. I thought maybe we could go for the whole 30 minutes this weekend, but it's a totally different passage. But I'll be very honest with where we are, you guys. I really struggled this week to prepare my heart and my mind for what we have going on in the book of Revelation this week because of what actually happens. And so what we have in front of us is looking at basically chaos. Uh, The trumpets sound and chaos ensues. It's God's judgment against creation. And as it it goes down, it's just, ah, it's really hardcore. God really unfolds some stuff. And we've got to work our way through that this week, these first four trumpets. But as we do, I know God is faithful. He's going to show up. I have prayed a ton this week that God would uh, get me ready. So what we're going to do is you're in, uh, going to be in Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 6. I believe it's page 871. Yes, it is. So 871 in your blue Bridgeway Bibles. And what we're going to do this week is we're just going to give you a glimpse. Uh, in the back, what we do is because I'm kind of a traditionalist. I'm a little bit on the traditional side of things, which I know by the way I'm dressed, you're like, no, you're not. Okay, inside I am. Uh, in the back, what we do is when we read the scripture we're going to study, we have a, a certain tradition we execute every weekend during our services. So when you get to page 871 and find verse 6, would you go ahead and stand up while we read God's word this morning? All of this, of course, just to uh, show some reverence to God, some respect for his word. So here we are this morning. Verse 6, Revelation 8, Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned to blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. God, this morning as we come to you, God, as we crack open your word, God, we simply pray that you are with us, that you would open again our hearts and our minds to see and hear what you have for us. God, apart from you, your scripture is just words. God, apart from your spirit, it's just sitting on a page. God, I pray that you are in this place this morning, that you speak clearly. God, I've literally done enough studying preparation to really make you look bad. So, God, this morning, I just pray that you step in. God, that you open our hearts. We give you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Whew. Nothing like a little good news to start your morning. 
devastation. So what to do with all this? I'll be really honest. This is where I have struggled all week. You know, hey, third of the earth is destroyed. Go have a great morning. That's the sermon. What am I going to do with that? So I, uh, I have confession to make. I am not by nature in my heart really passionate about expository teaching. I know, shock. See, I love God's Word, but the thing to me is I, I don't have a great passion for ra- railing out or just spewing out historical facts and figures, and I get kind of lost in that stuff. I'm not a deep intellectual person. I, uh, I just don't work that way, and I'm always looking at God's Scripture through the filter of how does this impact my life, my heart, my own walk with God? How does it work? What is it saying about God's character? Because in my mind, all it can come down to is all of Scripture speaks not only to what God is trying to communicate, but to who He is and how He's interacting with His people. And so this morning we have some things that I want to get through that are somewhat factual and and deal with the commentaries and the scholars. And we're going to try and get through that. And you might get a little spun around. I get a little spun around. So we'll all be a little spun around together. It's okay. And then hopefully we'll get to the place where this all comes uh, together. So first things first, we'll deal with the commentarians, the scholars, and where they agree and disagree. These are the things that sort of, I'm like, all right, well, it's interesting fact time. So here we have in the commentaries, as I read this week, as I explored these events, as the six or the seven angels with trumpets in verse six start to sound, pointing out of the trumpets having a more specific meaning than we kind of discussed last week. The trumpets themselves indicate three key things. Impending judgment. As the trumpets are sounding, something big is coming down. We discussed that last week. A call to war. More specifically, a call to war between good and evil. Right? A call to battle in the spiritual realm. And then finally, the returning of the king. These three things, commentary is all pointed at. These trumpets ring in these specific issues. Probably all three. Sort of a big trumpet blast covering multi-events. So, that moves us into the events themselves. Some of the comments, the guys, the scholars that write these commentaries, they agree that these events are a reflection of, but not a duplication of, the events we saw in Exodus as God poured out the plagues on Egypt. You see in the first uh, trumpet being blown, you see hail and blood raining down on earth. Well, In Egypt, one of the plagues was the Nile turning to blood. So you see that direct reflection. And then in the fourth trumpet, you see a third of the sun and the moon and the stars struck so that the sky is darkened for over a third of the day. And in the ninth plague, the skies of Egypt were blackened. It became so dark that they couldn't see one another and couldn't move. So you have this direct reflection that shows, listen, God is in His playbook. There are certain things that God brings about that indicate His judgment. So we see these things. There are these agreements. And then I wanted to take a minute to kind of guide you through the events themselves. Because, you know, there's some nerdy fascination in trying to figure out what it looked like. How will this actually go down? 
What will God actually do? How will this logistically play out in our lives? How will we see it? So, everyone's got a version. So that brings us to our favorite time of the morning. Options! Here we go. Verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. So what is this? Hail and fire mixed with blood. What could it be? Well, some of the scholars say it's possible that something happens, a shift in the earth that creates mass volcanic eruptions all around the earth. So what you have is lava raining down with large rocks, which would look like hail. So this happens on a global scale over a third of the earth in the volcanic regions. So we end up with this huge cataclysmic event. One scholar offered, well, perhaps we get caught up in the tail of a comet. All right. Okay. Perhaps a comet is diverted and we end up in its tail. We get a meteor shower that has red glowing rocks raining down. It creates an atmospheric incident where we get rain mixed with that. And so we have these different explanations. You choose. I don't know. Moving on. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned to blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Anyone seen Deep Impact? There's a great scene where this giant meteor roars over the sky, and it hits the uh, Pacific Ocean, or the Atlantic Ocean, I think, actually, Atlantic Ocean. Boom! I remember him saying it's going to be a tidal wave, a thousand feet high, moving at a thousand miles an hour. Surf's up. Is that it? Does an asteroid hit our planet? Do we see that happen? Is that what causes... I mean, certainly we would see that if this kind of event happened, if an asteroid hit the Atlantic Ocean, it would cause worldwide disruption in commerce, maritime commerce, if ships are destroyed, because you'd have that kind of tidal wave. You'd have that, we'd have that kind of you know, event happen. It would certainly kill a whole lot of the sea life, which then could result in the waters turning to blood because... what? Sea creatures have blood too. So is that it? Could be. Not sure. That's the one they all kind of seem to point to because it's the most plainly described. Verse 10. Third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. So this is where we get a little bit confused. This is one of those events that's a little muddy because we're like, okay, how does a star fall on one third of all of the waters and springs of the earth without just breaking the entire planet into a million bits. That would have to be one giant star. Well, scholars point out, what if it's a, a meteor that actually burns up in the atmosphere and therefore when it hits the earth, it's actually spread out. So we get all these little meteorites hitting and if they're covered with contaminants and they get into the water and the rivers and the streams and into the water table, then it would create this effect of poisoning the water system but there's more hold on it says the star has a name wormwood interesting name don't name your kids that bad deal hey little wormwood come on we're going to the park the issue of wormwood is actually it's a bitter extract of a plant that was used medicinally in some places but it is so toxic that over time, if ingested, it could kill you. 
The idea of wormwood, scholars point at, is the issue of the bitterness of God's judgment against creation. So that is the issue of the name. It's, it's really not, it's not a, uh, there's nothing demonic about it. It literally is a practical application of this is what this represents. The bitterness of God's judgment against creation. Finally, verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars, so a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. So what, what does this do for us? Mass eclipses, is this a fallout from the asteroid or the meteors? Right, we have this issue of suddenly the sky is blacked out. Well, if the sky is blacked out, what do we end up with? We end up with a lack of photosynthesis, which I actually couldn't say last night. But that kills off plant life. And if plant life starts to die, what happens? Animal life starts to die. And if plant and animal life starts to die, guess who starts to die? Us. That's pretty bad. Well, what does this all mean? What can we surmise from all these things? Here's the issue. No matter what the scientific explanation, the logistical carrying out of these events may be, do we really want to spend a lot of time trying to decide? What can we come down to? The hand of God is moving against creation. We can come down to that. That no matter what it looks like, I mean, even if it is, a comet goes off course. Who has the power to put a comet off course? God. These kind of cataclysmic events happening in rapid succession cannot be explained away by science. What, global warming? I'm sorry, isn't it June? Don't even go. I'm just going to drop that where it is. All right. Here's the issue. What is the bottom line? God is hacked off. God ain't happy. This is not the stuff happy God does. God's hacked and he's unleashing his wrath on the earth. That's what we can come down to. And that's where we have to wrestle a little bit this morning. Because you guys, we as a church, not just us, not just Bridgeway, but we as a church in America, we have a really funny, fuzzy idea of what wrath really is. We're like, oh, but God is so nice. God's a sweetie. Really? God has righteous anger. And it gets poured out at some point. I'd like to say this. I'm a pretty sweet fella. Right? I'm a nice guy. Ask the kids. I'm a, I'm a nice guy, right? There you go, okay. I'm a big teddy bear. You want to see me enraged? Mess with my wife. I'm dead serious. Don't mess with my bride. You want to see me rise up? You want to see me get angry? You start messing with my wife. I will come unglued. Mess with my kids. I will stop you in your tracks with whatever force I can. You guys have to understand, God has righteous anger, because that anger in my mind is very righteous. Right? We get all, if God is perfect, why does he get jealous? People are messing with his kids. People are messing with his bride. Someone messes with my bride, I'm getting jealous. We don't get it, though. We don't get it. We step back and we go, how could God be so angry? Really? Well, certainly couldn't be angry with me. Are you sure? 
See, here's one of the areas we've got to tread into this morning. If you want to flip in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 25. That's on page 853, if that helps you get there quicker. You guys, you see, our issue is we take God's grace for granted. Paul asked in the book of Romans, right, so I have grace, I should go on sinning, so that grace may abound all the more. Certainly not, is the direct answer. Paul, king of the rhetorical question. In Hebrews, the author writes this. See to it that you do not refuse. This is verse 25, chapter 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You guys, it's time to be taken to task. And if, if you're going to get offended in this moment, okay, take it up with him. Take it up with his word. Yes, if we refuse, if we walk in some sort of faux, fake acknowledgement of Christianity, are we really walking with God? If we're just out there giving Christ lips, oh, sure, yeah, I, I'm all about Jesus. Really? You guys, we have to deal with a faith that is solid, that is sure. It says we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Are you taking the kingdom that you are receiving and trading it in for the junk the world has to offer you? Is that what you're doing? Because because of the kingdom we're receiving, it says we should worship God acceptably with reverence and awe reverence and awe that is who we're dealing with here the god that hands us the kingdom that cannot be shaken and that we walk out in the world we trade it in for the first piece of junk we can find and all the time we walk around oh yeah no i love jesus i love going to church really do you think that is a solid faith that cannot be shaken i don't think so Stop playing Christian. Start living it. I don't mean to wag my finger at you, but I get a little passionate. Is it hellfire and brimstone this morning? Not quite. My grandparents are Southern Baptists. I could go all kind of crazy up in here. They live in Oklahoma, too. It's that kind of Southern Baptist. Oh, yeah. You guys, we've got to deal with this. The reality of our faith has got to be solid. The foundations have to be there. They've got to be in place. We've got to be able to lean fully on God and nowhere else. Otherwise, when things start shaking, we're the ones, like last week, running into the rocks, running into the hills, crying out to be hidden. You guys... 
this is hard for us to swallow. This is a hard pill for me to swallow. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. And this is what's amazing about this. There's one more point we really have to kind of zoom in on when it comes to the passage of the four trumpets. And that is this. The issue of one-third. Notice in all those passages, one-third of something. One-third, one-third, one-third. And this was an amazing thing. As I read through the commentaries, as I read through the scholars, all of them agreed. Now, wait a minute. All of them agreed. Now, that could be a sign of the apocalypse itself. They all agreed to this point. The one-third represents partial judgment against the world. It is not God's complete judgment. That comes later. This is God's partial judgment. In other words, He's not done. So what? Well, I wrestled with that. And when looking at that, I thought, what does it mean? But then I read verse 13. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa! 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 Which isn't good, by the way. To the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Okay, guys. This is where I just kind of get real with you for a second. I couldn't figure out what to do with the eagle. Lance and I sat down. We talked about the eagle. We had a good laugh. We're like, how funny is this? Like, chaos, chaos, boom, blam, explosion, bird flying. What? Like, it all pauses and there's the eagle. Great. And I really, it was like, what is this awkward moment in Scripture of this bird just kind of flying through, yelling at everybody, hey, we're not done. I'm not done being mad yet. Okay, great. So more bad news. And I had to sit and reflect. And suddenly, it hit me. As you look back to the Old Testament, as you look back throughout Scripture, when God sent prophets in, when God sent people with the message of, woe to you, whoever it was, woe to you, it wasn't a final judgment. It was a warning. It was a call to get right. It was, hey, listen, something bad is coming down and you need to get yourself straight or else it's going to happen to you. Woe to you. The prophet said it. Woe to you. Jesus said it. It's pretty amazing to see this and just suddenly look at this. And here's the funny thing. The author of Hebrews also writes and quotes the Psalms and says, Today you hear His voice. This is in chapter 3. Today you hear His voice. Do not harden your heart. He's calling out this warning. And I still thought, all right, there's got to be something more here. We have you warning us, God, and I get that. But what is it? There's something that needs to be communicated. And so if you guys would turn with me, this is where we're going to finish out today, to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. And that's on page 697. Going to the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to look at a parable it's a parable of the workers in the vineyard. And this hit me. And it just 
It just clicked. So let me read this for you. You guys don't have to stand back up or anything. Just stay where you are. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you for pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and the one and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. We're going to stop right there. Love this parable. Love this parable. But see, when we study it, we usually end up in that last section. Talking about the payment and the abnormality of, hey, listen, if you work a day, you get a day's wage. If you work an hour, you'd only get an hour's wage. But God is generous and but you guys want to take a step back because of the whole idea of this parable, as Jesus tells it, is describing and discussing the countercultural activity that God displays. Things that don't add up in our mind, and it doesn't start when he starts paying these guys. No. It starts when he hits the marketplace a second time. You see, in that day and age, it was true. They would go down to the marketplace. They would hire men to work in their vineyards in the morning at the first hour. They're out there at 6 o'clock. I need guys. I need this many guys. You guys go work for the day. That's how it worked. And then the owner went out. They all worked. He paid the men. And that was the end of it. But in this scenario, you see the landowner not just going out once. Not once at six, but again at nine. And again at noon. And then again at three. He goes out all day long and even at the eleventh hour. He's standing in the marketplace saying, who needs work? Who can I help? Who can I reach out to? That is our God. In the 11th hour, reaching his hand out. And what more dire 11th hour than what we see in the book of Revelation? The storm is raging all around. God's wrath is unfolding. And in the midst of that, he throws us a lifeline. The same right hand that bears the sword of judgment reaches out to pull us up out of the mire. In our 11th hour. Even as things are crumbling around, he's still reaching out saying, listen, more is coming, but I don't want it to fall on you, the pinnacle of my creation, whom I love, whom I sent my son for. There is grace and mercy for you even now. That is the God that we know. 
That is our God. And that blows my mind. Cannot get around that. As it unfolds in this message of doom and gloom, shines this bright beacon, this light, this ray of hope. That God says, listen, I am unfolding my wrath. But there is still room for you at the table. There is still room for you in my home. I've still prepared a room for you in my house. Do you want it? So this morning, we'll do something a little bit different. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up. And we're ending early. And see, we have this habit here when the band comes up and starts to play, our legs seem to get the itch to run out the door. But in more traditional churches, they're again traditional. A lot of them have what's called a hymn of response. The idea is that as God has spoken to you today... If God is weighing on your heart, like I said, if you're offended, don't take it up with me. But if God has spoken to your heart, we're going to allow or or offer up, not allow, but offer a time of response. Here's the thing, you guys. If you're here this morning and you are still curious and you're still wondering and you're still searching and seeking for God. And you're sitting there going, I don't know if I can deal with a God that's ready to destroy everything. I want you to think about the fact that in the midst of that, there is still a lifeline. There is still grace and mercy, even to the 11th hour. And this morning, He could be yours. His sacrifice on the cross was for you as well. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to go worship over here somewhere with the kids. But the prayer team... Myself will be over around this corner. If you'd like to pray this morning to receive Christ, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But for the rest of you that are struggling in where you're walking, that are struggling in your faith, maybe you just need a time to do some business with God this morning. Maybe you just need some time to get on your knees and pray to just spend some time in your heart worshiping your God, the God who carries judgment in hand, but in the same hand offers mercy and grace. As we come to worship, you guys, I just want to invite you. Just come up front and spend some time with just you and your dad. But I would urge you this morning, no matter where you're at, do some business with God this morning. Whether it's just to thank Him for how amazing He is, Or to just offer up and say, listen, Dad, I'm in a bad place. And I just need to rush into your arms. Let's pray. God, this morning as we open ourselves up, as we just pour out to you, God, I pray that we would respond in worship to you, a dad who is faithful. Even when we are faithless. To you, a dad who is gracious and compassionate and merciful even in the midst of discipline. God, just be in this place this morning. Speak to our hearts. God, answer the questions of those who have them. 
But God, just be present. In Jesus' name, amen.